know you ladies had a great time making jewelry, so thank you for coming, Shannon, and doing that. That's some cool stuff, man. I was kind of jealous. I was like, dude, where's my necklace and bracelets and chains and earrings? Come on. <laughs> hey, nowadays, man, you know, men accessorize as well, you know? So, no. <laughs> hey, man. Well, if you want to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 3. Probably really soon, we're just going to basically just go straight through the book of Acts on Sundays. Uh, right now, that's the Bible study that I do with my boys. Basically, we just read straight through it, tell them the stories, and, and then we try to do the things that we read about in the book of Acts, which is fun, right? Um, so if you're, if you're bored, if your Christianity feels a little bit stale, go read the book of Acts. And get stirred up, because that's what we're supposed to look like. Amen? That, the book of Acts is not only a historical documentation of the birth of the church, but it's a prophetic declaration of what it's supposed to look like forever. I'm glad I got one. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, thank you. You get one, amen, right? It's what we're supposed to look like forever. It's the church. And so um, we're going to get into that here in a moment. Uh, I want to pray first. Amen. <clears throat> so, Father, we thank you for everything you're doing. Uh, I thank you because I do sense that you're moving. We do expect miracles. We expect breakthrough and healings. We just thank you for it. Uh, I ask that you would increase m- miracles and signs and wonders. I ask that you would help our faith to increase as we exercise it, God. Today, I pray that there will be a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm going to go ahead and read Acts chapter 3. We're going to start with verse 1, and we're going to dive into um, my thoughts for today. Acts chapter 3, verse 1. It says, One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer. At three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled since birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, which is kind of cool. The gate was called Beautiful, right? Where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple court. So basically at this time, this was the social, this is what they did. This is how they took care of the poor uh, is they were allowed to to beg and to stand at temple courts and, and outside the, the, the civic centers and things like that. All right, take care. That's me too. All right, take care. Man. They, were, they were allowed to be there, and basically as people were on their way to the temple, on their way to do things, they would, they would give of the overflow, and they would bless them, and they would take care of them, right? So this guy, for 40 years or so, was placed there to beg as a crippled man. <clears throat> Now, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said to them, and I'm going to insert my joke here, right? We are preachers. We don't have any money. <laughs> You're laughing. Are you guys all right? Yeah, all right. That's the way I tell it with my kids. Like, you know, it's ringing a little, maybe. Sorry. And Peter said, look at us. And we do not have any money, right? So the man looks at them with intention. He looks at them and gives them his focus, right? <clears throat> he expected to get something from them. But Peter said to them, again, we are preachers, and we do not have silver or gold, but we do have something that's valuable. This is my translation. I know you're like, what? That's not in here. But we do have something valuable. And what we do have, we give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Get up and walk. Taking him by the hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong, and he jumped to his feet, and he began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, and he was walking and jumping and praising God. So he goes from being crippled for 40 plus years in the social system, being taken care of by people throwing money at his feet as he laid there on the road, to getting picked up, standing up, walking on his own, to jumping and leaping and praising God. It was an amazing day for this guy. 
he was in the right place at the right time. This is, this is better than the welfare system that he was under. <laughs> now when all the people saw him walking and leaping and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate, beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement about what had happened to him. Sounds like a good day, right? So today, I want to talk about some things from this passage and some thoughts that have been going over in my heart and mind for a while. And I want to talk about responsibility. Like, how do you get responsibility out of that? Well, we'll see. Let's change the, the way we spell it to response and the word ability. Responsibility, all right? <clears throat> responsibility is something that God has given every one of us. It's the ability to respond to Him. We all have the ability to respond to God. Amen? I am responsible for me. We're going to talk through some stuff real quick, all right? Because I'm going somewhere with this. I am responsible for me. I am not responsible for you. And you are not responsible for me. How, how free does that make everyone feel? Whew, I don't have to worry about everyone else. Even in my home, this is language that we use. Josiah, I am responsible for me. You are responsible for you. I am not responsible for you. You are responsible for you. And Josiah, you are not responsible for me. You are an independent person who has the ability to respond. You are responsible. Everyone say, I am responsible. All right, I'm going to go somewhere. My only responsibility is to respond when God initiates. I like how Danny Silk says this. Crisis for you does not necessarily mean crisis for me. What he means by that is you may be freaking out and may want my help or even feel like you need my help. But that does not necessarily mean that I am responsible to do what you expect me to do. Now that sounds really crazy. And this comes from a man, a pastor, who knows tens of thousands of people. Growing up, my, my parents were this way as well. Some pastors don't publish their phone phone number or they have a separate phone and whatever Danny Silk puts his phone number right in the phone book where everyone can call him because he's like I am responsible for me I can choose to answer the phone or not answer the phone I can choose to call people back or not call people back whether it upsets people or not I am responsible for me crisis for you does not always mean crisis for me I am responsible for me. Everyone say it again. I am responsible for me. All right. That does feel so good. I'm one of those that needs to hear this next point. I cannot control you. Everyone say, I cannot control others. I cannot control others. When I'm driving down the road and someone's not going as fast as they should... I cannot make them go faster, even though I try. Get over, you know, you know the tactics. You just get over just a little so they see you in the mirror to know you're behind them. And if that doesn't work, you, you do it a couple of times, and then you get a little closer, and hopefully, you know those things that aggressive, mean people on the road do. That I learned from my father. My father. But I cannot control people. Ask Mandy what it's like for me to be in the passenger seat when she's driving. I'm hitting the brakes over there, man. I'm like, do you see what's going on? I'm trying to hit the brakes. I'll look over. Babe, the speed limit is 40. You're going 38. Come on. At least get the speed limit. I'm, I'm just telling on myself. But I cannot control other people. We try to. But we cannot control other people. It's just one of the biggest lies that we believe is that we can control others. Along with that lie comes the belief that I can be controlled by others. It's miserable living your life where everyone else is responsible for you. Or where you feel everyone else should be responsible and it's your job to get them there. 
I think Mac Michael Jackson said it best. I'm starting with the man in the mirror. <laughs> All right, sorry. <clears throat> I don't apologize. It's Michael Jackson. It's good. God gave us self-control because he loves freedom. Do you know that? I mean, really think about the gospel. A God who is completely in all authority gives his authority to men, to sons of men, and he lets them choose. He lets them decide. He lets them become responsible. And he initiates and gives us the option to respond or not. Yet we preach the gospel as if it's not the case. This is the greatest truth on the planet. That the God of the universe loves us so much that He wants us to be free people. How do we mess this message up? How do we mess it up in our belief system toward God? God doesn't want to control us. He wants us to be completely free. I love it when my kids just out of their own heart come to me and want to be loved on and want to, want to, want to say I love you and kiss me. I don't know if you know this, and again, I'm not trying to draw attention, but almost every week during worship, my boys will come up to me. And, and it, it hits me. They're not just responding to, to me, their father. They're responding to the father's atmosphere, and they want to be loved on by daddy. I was thinking about it today. And so I've been teaching Josiah, like, Joe, there's only room for one person in your God spot. Daddy doesn't belong in your God spot. God belongs there. And I remember the first time I told him that, I was like, Josiah, do you know that I want you to love God more than you love me? He's like, no. I was like, Josiah, I want you to love God more than you love me. If you don't know, Josiah, we're really close, like crazy close. I don't know if you know that. I'm close with Matthias as well. But Matthias is really good at, what's the word? He loves everyone pretty much equally. Josiah is the daddy's boy. I mean, he just is. He loves his mama. He's really sweet with his mama. But, you know, Josiah's a daddy's boy, you know, right? And I'm trying to tell him, Josiah, I want God to be in your God spot because I want you to respond to him better than you respond to me. God, and, and so I was telling him today, God wants you to be free. God wants you... God wants you to know, like, Daddy gets mad at you sometimes, but God will never hurt you. Daddy hurts your feelings sometimes. God will never hurt your feelings. He's kind. Because God is a God of freedom. He's a God of love. And we've made this message, and we've, we've made it about obeying these rules. And I, I know we talk about this a lot. This isn't what I'm here to talk about today. But we do this because we think that we can control others, or we think we need to be controlled by something outwardly. And God wants us to have the spirit of self-control where we are responsible for ourselves. Amen to that? So when we believe the lie that we can control others or we can be controlled by others, two things happen. More than two, but two that I want to talk about. And they're dangerous. Number one, we live as victims who are powerless because we've outsourced our control to someone else. So when we believe other people can control us, Everything is a crisis, and we're always the victim. No matter what happens, we're a victim. Well, they did this to me. Well, this happened. Everything is always something else's fault, and we never take responsibility for it for ourselves. The second thing we do, we can live frustrated and discouraged that those around us aren't doing what they should be doing. Why don't you just love the Lord? Why don't you just pay your bills? Whatever, fill in the blank. Why don't you just do your, clean your room? We get frustrated because everyone around us isn't doing what we think they should. Or it really is what they should be doing. But we don't control them. They are responsible for them. So let's do this again. Let's make this declaration. I am responsible for me. And I am more than able... To respond to my father. Second one. Say this one with me. I am not responsible 
for others. Or for how they do or do not respond. Now when we are responsible and free people and able to respond to the Father, then we begin to steward our lives in a different way. When we steward our lives, now listen to this, I'm going somewhere with all of this for a reason. When we steward the realm of authority that God has given us, we introduce the presence of God and freedom to the culture and the atmosphere. I can't make people love God, but I can love God so passionately that everywhere I go, I bring His presence with me, and it introduces people to the God who is freedom, where they can be responsible, response-able, able to respond to Him, and without forcing, without causing, without driving them towards Him, we can simply introduce His presence to the culture, and they will respond to Him. It's... It's everything Jesus did was following this example. Jesus was responsible for himself. He went where he needed to go. He did what he needed to do. He said what he needed to say. And he didn't ever go outside of his responsibilities. And because Jesus was where he needed to be. How many times did you read in the Gospels where it says, and Jesus said, I need to go to this place, or I need to go to that place, or I need to cross the lake and be alone for a while, or I must go and be with my father. He even told his parents, he disappears one day when he's a little boy, I must be about my father's business. He was responsible, he was solely responsible to his father. And because of that, he stewarded his relationship and connection with the Father so well that everywhere he went, people encountered the atmosphere of heaven because he was stewarding his relationship well. This is how we transform culture. It's not going to be by electing people in office. I believe we should elect good people. But we can elect really good people and still go down a crazy path. The only way to really change and transform culture is for the body of Christ to become responsible for their relationship with God and steward what He has given us the authority to steward so well that it changes and transforms the atmosphere and introduces people to the God of freedom. Amen? Amen. 2 Corinthians three seventeen says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Freedom, freedom for what? Just freedom from anything. Freedom from bondage. Freedom from sickness. Freedom from disease. The freedom to choose for themselves whom they will serve. Everyone good? See, our obedience and our responsibility initiates and activates what I call the fruit of stewardship. So what is this? Well, in, in Matthew 25, there's the parable of the talents. You remember the, the, the parable where the master gave one five and one two and one one and says, here guys, I want you to be responsible for this while I'm gone. You know the story. The one with five did what? He doubled it. He converted it. He was responsible for what he was given. He stewarded it. He didn't worry about the guy that had two or the guy that had one. He didn't even think, man, I really wish I had that guy's two or that guy's one. He, he said, I have five and I'm going to steward the five well and he doubled it. The guy with two didn't get annoyed that he only had two and the other guy had five. He just stewarded the two that he had. And the one that had one was a slothful, and the Bible says wicked, servant. He just buried it in the ground and did not do anything with it. So what happened when the master came back to settle the accounts? He goes to the one with five, and he sees that he stewarded the five so well that he doubled it to ten, and he said, well done. You were faithful over something really small. And because you stewarded that really well, I'm now going to make you ruler over ten cities. The one with two, good job. I'm not mad that you didn't convert it to ten. You stewarded what I gave you and increased it. Now I'm going to make you responsible for four. And he goes to the one and says, what did you do? I buried it. 
because I knew you were, you were a tough taskmaster. And he says, you're so wicked. At least put it in the bank and draw some interest on it. But because you're so wicked, get out of here and let me have your one and I'm going to give it to the one with ten. Because I know he's going to increase it. He's going to steward it really well. What's the moral of the story here? When we steward whatever it is God has given us. Our job is not to compare. We talked about this a few weeks back. Comparison is a trap. I think that's even the title of the sermon. It's the trap of comparison where we look around and we say, well, they, they can prophesy really well. Or when they, when they do this or, or they have more money or they have this or they... No, stop all that nonsense. Comparison is just such a... It's a trap for both sides. It's a, it, it invites the entitlement mentality. And entitlement is ugly on two ends. Entitlement is ugly for the, for the one in need saying, I need more. I deserve more because I'm in need. That's really ugly. I need to take from people that have because I don't have any. And it's also ugly on the other end that says, man, I'm so wealthy and so good that I deserve the little that they have because I'm so powerful and wealthy. I deserve what I have. Entitlement is ugly and it always comes from comparison. Our job is not to compare one, two, or five talents. Our job is to say, okay, God, this is what you've given me. I'm thankful for it and legitimately be thankful for it and then steward it well. And when we steward it well, the fruit of that will bring increase. It will bring the favor of God and it will give us increased authority. How many want increased authority? Amen. Amen. See, in Acts chapter 3, so we'll go back to the setting here. Peter and John were doing what they did every day. They went to the temple at the same time every day. They were being responsible for what they were supposed to do. Yet out of their obedience and their responsibility, they transformed this man's world, right? Our obedience introduces his presence and freedom to the atmosphere. This obedience will create momentum that will transform culture. Amen? How do you believe that? You guys still with me? We don't transform through striving through warfare we transform through through stewardship of our relationship to god through connection with the father being in right relationship with the father that's what transforms culture out of that god will give us authority now what i've seen in my own life and i've, I've seen through the years is very often we like to try to be responsible and have authority in areas that he didn't give us to steward You were called to be a, let's, I'm just going to make this really simple, make easy examples. You were called to be a greeter. Don't stick your nose in the worship team's business. <laughs> I'm just, that's an easy example. I'm just, I'm not saying that happens here. I'm just using an example. I'm trying to pick something that doesn't happen just because. You understand what I'm saying. You're responsible for being an accountant at work. Don't try to be, a, don't try to be the prophet for the church. I didn't say you don't prophesy. But don't try to take authority for things that you don't have authority for. When we do that, whenever I, out, when I reach beyond what he's given me stewardship for, I step out of his, his, his authority and his covering. And I leave what he did steward me for the enemy to steal, kill, and destroy. Because I'm over here tending someone else's garden instead of my own. What would happen if every time you went out, every week you went out to mow your grass, you mowed your neighbors instead of your own? <laughs> your neighbors will be very happy. Thank you. Unless you don't do it the way they want it done, and then they'll be like, stay out of my lawn, right? It's another tactic. It's another trick where we're not satisfied with what we have and we feel like we have answers and solutions and, and wisdom and information. And it is true. A lot of times, we can see very clearly things that we're not directly involved in. It is true. A lot of times, we have the greatest discernment in areas we are not vested into emotionally, um, physically, in any other way. It's just, you get out, I can see clearly now, you're higher than, you're, you're out of it. You don't have any attachment, and you can see clearly. That does not mean it's our responsibility. 
And when we step away from what we're responsible for, we break the most powerful thing we have to be transformers on the planet. We're too busy running around doing other things instead of the one thing he asked us to do. He said to the disciples who became apostles, listen to the teachings, break bread with one another, fellowship together and pray, go to the temple and and pray and spend time with me. Do these things. And out of that, your responsibilities will increase as you manage those things. Everyone still good? I want to apply that to our lives. What are you responsible for? Do that as well as you can. Because when the Lord sees you being responsible, He will increase your authority. It's the way He works. He wants to give you increase. What's it say in Jeremiah 29, 11? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to to prosper. What does that mean? To increase you. What does it say in Isaiah? Isaiah 54, I believe it is. Expand your territory. Enlarge the tent pegs. Make room for growth. How do we do that? We steward what we're doing now. When we steward really well what we have, we are creating a capacity for increase. Amen? I'm going to skip down towards the end, all right? I've been seeing this lately. I think it was maybe six or eight months ago uh, in pre-service prayer with the staff. Um, this came up. I, I think it was Stephen, and he, he was, uh, he, the Lord wanted him to call his sister, and he wouldn't be upset if I share this. It's, it's a, th- a testimony. But he wanted to call his sister and, and begin to minister to her. And he did. He obeyed the Lord. And, and after he hung up the phone, he was like, mm, I, I felt like there was more I could have said or more I could have done or more help I could have provided there. And, and immediately the Lord spoke to me in this. And I was like, don't, don't feel shame. Don't feel like you missed it or, or messed up or could have done more or whatever. What you're feeling now, Stephen, is the Lord has actually already increased your authority. And the, you're feeling grief your spirit is grieving because you actually have more authority than you realize. And I've seen that play out time and again, where I've been in a situation and I've walked away and thought, man, I really wish I would have said this. It's the Lord saying, Jared, you actually carry more authority than you realize you carry. Does this make sense? It's not for us to feel shame and guilt. It's for us to wake up and say, whoa, He increased what I was stewarding before. See, before, my responsibility may have been to pick up the phone and call and say some things. But because I stewarded that one talent well, he gave me two talents now. And now it's not only to pick up the phone and to minister, but it's to do something additional to that. And I'm learning what those boundaries are. We're all learning what those boundaries are now. And the Lord wants you to know when you feel that thing, ask him, what the new talent he gave you is. Ask him what the new realm of responsibility and authority is that he gave you. And then next time, act upon it. Do it. If it's normally you say, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you that you get better. Maybe you've done that so well, the Lord wants you to now pray right now on the spot and not wait till later. And then when you do that really well, maybe he'll increase. Is this making sense? And it all comes from responsibility. It all comes from doing the thing that we're supposed to do. We would become so effective and so powerful as the church on the earth if the church began to do what she was called to do and not try to do anything else. Amen? See, authority is actually realms of stewarded responsibility. Authority is when we have a realm of influence because of our stewardship. Does that make any sense? No?
trying to think of a really good example, but I can't think of one. So we'll just go with this one. This is plan B. How many have ever had someone say something to you and you knew it was right, but it didn't have any weight behind it? You know what I'm saying? I don't know if it, it could be a spiritual matter. It could be advice. You could ask someone, they could be giving you financial advice, yet they aren't stewarding their finances really well. So yeah, it's true. It's good advice. But it didn't carry any authority on it. Does that make any sense? It was good advice and it was true. We're not discarding the truth. But they did not carry up on them a weight behind the truth. And it just kind of falls to the ground. That's what I'm talking about today. When we steward what he's given us, then when we begin to declare things out of that place of stewardship, there's a weightiness to what we say. The Bible calls it the glory of God. It's glory upon the things that we say, upon the things that we declare. That comes from stewardship really well. Does that make sense now? God wants to increase your authority. He wants us to speak less about things that we're not responsible for. Amen? And He wants us to speak more about the things that we actually do. It's the book of James all over again. Do not be hearers of the word only, and so deceive yourselves, but be doers of the word. Why? Because when we do what we're supposed to do, the glory of God comes and rests upon our work, and He blesses it, and He causes everything we do to prosper. Not because we're such good workers, but because we respond to Him. All right. See, people of obedience carry the authority to transform cities and disciple nations. We're going back to, to what we're here for. What did they say about the disciples? It was funny. I was reading this to my kids last week or so. And they looked at the disciples and they were very confused. I think it even says perplexed. Because they were stupid. They were ignorant and unlearned men. Yet when they spoke, there was such authority on what they said. So much so that unbelievers were in awe of their words. This wasn't Gamaliel. This wasn't Socrates and Plato and the great thinkers of the day that they had been familiar with. These were ignorant fishermen. Yet when they spoke, it carried an authority and a weight on it that the great teachers did not have on them. And it says that they took note of what they said and that they had been with Jesus. They were responsible for what they were responsible for. And because of it, God put a weightiness behind every action that they did and every word that they spoke, so much so that their reputation was that those who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Are you guys hearing this? I'm about to get really excited when I think about it. Because it tells me that any stupid fool who stewards their relationship with God really well can carry an authority and a weight to their lifestyle that transform entire cities. It's the truth. It is the truth. It's how a church our size can influence a city. God doesn't need numbers to win a city to Him. He'll work with numbers, but He doesn't require numbers. What did it say? I looked for a man, a woman, one person who would do what? Who would stand in the gap and make up the hedge. What was He saying? I'm looking for one person who will stand where they're supposed to be, do what they're supposed to do, When I see that person, I will put my glory on them and everything that they do will prosper and they will carry an authority to transform cities. See, Peter and John, 
in this story, we're very careful to make sure that the praise went to God. Amen? But they carried an authority on them. I want you to skip over to chapter 5 now. And we're going to close with this. I want to say this first though. Peter and John made sure that people knew. You'll see this all through the book of Acts. Don't worship us. People would come and try to praise them and worship them. And they would say, don't do that. Knock it off. Praise the God. Praise Jesus Christ, the one you crucified. Praise that guy, because we didn't do anything here. They were making sure that people knew, listen to this, that they couldn't control people. I want that to sink in. I hope it sinks in the way I feel it. They were not only making sure that praise went to God. They were clearing up the misconception that says people can control other people. When all these miracles happened, it was because someone responded in faith. The man looked at Peter and John in faith, expecting to receive something. He didn't know what he was going to receive, but he had faith that he was going to get something out of this. The man responded to the presence on Peter and John. And because of that, he got something that he didn't even ask for. So when Peter and John said, praise God, they were clearing the air that says, we didn't make this happen. We just obeyed the Lord and His presence came and you felt His presence and you responded to it. That's why all of this happened. Alright? Alright, chapter 5. I want to read this real quick. Chapter 5, verse 12. The apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's temple. No one else joined them. It says dare join them. Even though they were rightly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord. And God added to their number daily. As a result, listen to this part. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by that they would be healed and crowds gathered from the towns around Jerusalem and they brought all their sick and all those that were tormented by evil spirits and all of them were healed what was happening here Peter and John and the other apostles stewarded really well what God gave them. He told them to wait in Jerusalem. To wait. To just simply wait. And that if they waited and stewarded that time well, that He would rest upon them and give them power and authority. And they did what God told them to do. They responded to Him in obedience. And He sat upon them and filled them with the power and the Holy Spirit. Not just to perform signs and wonders, but to bring the influence of heaven to earth. To bring the atmosphere of heaven to earth. To introduce people to a, to a realm that they had no access to at this point. They were an encounter because they stewarded really well what God gave them. Because of this, they were laying sick people in the streets, hoping that Peter's shadow would just cross over them and that they would be healed. Think about this. Then they were lining the streets up like a parade with sick people and evil spirits. I bet it was a circus. I bet it was crazy. You got demon-possessed people, sick people. You got all kinds of stuff lined on the streets. And as they walked by, they healed them. Every one of them, it says, were healed. <coughs> Why? Because some foolish fishermen decided that Jesus was the Messiah. And they decided that, you know what, I'm going to give my life to follow this man. And that's all they were responsible for. He, didn't, he did not initially uh, tell them all the things that they were going to have happen to them. He just said, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And they thought, that sounds like a good plan. So they followed him. And then as they followed him, he increased their responsibility. 
He increased what they were capable of, what they were required to do, to the point to where now they were the carriers of the new covenant to the whole world. The whole world. They turned it upside down. Do you think that there's anything significant about them that we can't have access to? Do you think there's something so special about these disciples that you don't have inside of you? Ladies, do you think that just because it talks about all the men that you're left out? No way. This is for us. And my heart's desire is to see everyone in this church rise up and just do what we're called to do and to see the glory of God rest upon us because we steward well what He gives us. It's, like, it's this, the thing the Lord gave me, I don't know if it was a year and a half ago or whenever, maybe two years ago. But when God impacts us and encounters us, He either transforms all of us or ultimately none of us. We don't get to pick and choose and say, well, God, you can, you can really rest on me in power in this area, but not over here. When, when He fills a place, remember what it says in the whole earth will be filled? It's not just talking about being filled. It means filled to overflowing. That's the weightiness of God. So when God decides to rest upon His people and fill His people, we can't say, that's enough. I, I, I want to prophesy right now that you're about to step into realms of authority of things that you didn't even pray for. Things that you didn't even ask for. Favor that you did not even seek. Audience with powerful people that you did not pursue. Prophesied over myself. Authority over your family that you have asked the Lord for. I declare. I declare. That people are going to look at you and be like, no offense, but I don't understand the authority you carry. I don't understand the wisdom that you have. You're not that smart. <laughs> Yet when you speak, you bring solutions to our company. When we're just discouraged, you always lift us up. What is it about you? And then you'll be able to say, you can taste for yourself. Because you're free. You're free to taste Him. He's good. He's gentle. He's kind. He's faithful. How many want that kind of a lifestyle? Look, I've been in church my whole life, almost 40 years. I've been in church about 35 to 37 I can remember. I love church. Again, I'm a nerd. I'm a church boy. I love church. I come alive when I come to church. I come alive when I'm in the presence. When you talk about God, the Bible, worship, teaching, I come alive. I love it. But I want the adventure that I see in the book of Acts. I want every day to be where I wake up and I do what the Lord's told me to do for the day. And I look for opportunities to increase my influence. I look for opportunities to have authority in places. I look for chances for people that are looking for something, and I give them something. I don't have any silver or gold, but I have something. I just want to pray for you right now, and God's going to heal you. I don't have specific solution to your problem, but I will pray, and the God of all wisdom and knowledge will give you the solution. He will talk to you and He will release it to you. So let's talk to Him now. I I want adventures. I want encounters every day. Where, literally, where you wake up. You remember when Mandy spoke a couple weeks ago and and when she had the vision and the dream and then she experienced it. How, How alive did it make you when you saw it? You just came alive. The Lord wants that to be our daily experiences. Read through Acts. This happened all the time. 
these guys, like I said, everywhere they went, it was a circus. A circus of chaos and a circus of God confronting the chaos and bringing it to order. (laughs) It was amazing. It was amazing. And this is not written so that we can sit longingly and say, Oh God, how cool it would have been to live in those times. Do you know that they're looking to our time? And they're jealous of us. They're jealous of us. Read, read Hebrews 11. They are jealous of us. And then in, in, verse, in chapter 12 it says, And now, since we are surrounded by such, by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and entanglement, and let us run with perseverance the race He gave us to run. The end of Hebrews says that their, their promise has not yet been fulfilled, and that only through us hitting the tape does their promise get fulfillment. It's a marathon. It's a race. It's a, they're past the baton from generation to generation. And we get to be that generation that ushers in the coming of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're the ones that get to prepare the way of the Lord and make straight paths for His feet. John the Baptist preached about it. We get to do it. Amen. Think about this for a minute. We, we are not living in insignificant days. We are not insignificant, uh, weak people. We are ready for this. We were born for such a time as this. All of heaven is longing to see us. The Bible even says the earth is groaning, longing for the appearing of the sons of God. I love that Emerging Voices song that says, well, here we are. Speaking of that verse, all of creation's longing for the sons and daughters is, well, here we are. We're here. We're here. We're learning who we are. We're kind of like Ariel when she goes from mermaid to to human, and she can't really walk very well. We're learning. We're getting our balance. But oh, how beautiful we're going to be. Without spot, without wrinkle. And what stage has been set now? The stage, the, oh, the stage has been set for the greatest, I, I mean, I'm just seeing it. Like the whole world is a stage right now. And it's just set to, to display the glory of God. It's just ready. How bright does light look against darkness? And this is who you are, and this is who I am, this is what we're called to. And we can get overwhelmed if we think about the, the, the grandiosity, the size of, our, of what we're supposed to do, of our assignment, right? You can get overwhelmed. Am I making up words or is it a real word? Grandiosity. Look it up. It is now a word. I'm going to petition Wikipedia or something. Urban Dictionary. There you go. I have my name beside it. If we think about that, we can get overwhelmed. But how do we do the big thing? We do the little thing. We do the simple thing. And we do it really well. Queen of Sheba comes to Solomon's house. And she was overwhelmed with his excellence. By the way the waiters waited tables. By the china that they set out. The way they displayed the food. The simple things. She was amazed by it because the glory of God was on it. You and I can do that by doing the simple things really well. Amen? How many want to live that kind of life? That's, that's it right there. Now this is not just words. We are no longer people of words. We are people of action. Amen? Why don't you stand? See, we all have power. That's the ability to decide and choose. But we also have authority. And that's the ability to introduce freedom and the kingdom to the atmosphere. And when we do that, people will respond. I'll quote one of my favorite movies of all times. They will come. Oh yes, they will come. People from far. If you build it, he will come. Have you remember? And, yeah, fill the dreams. 
I love Terrence Mann, the character, when he's speaking. I, I want his voice, by the way. Jealous of And he's saying, oh, they will most definitely will come. They will. It will happen. So, Father, we thank you because we were born for such a time as this. And we are well able to do what you've called us to do. And I love, God, that you make it really simple for us. And we just do what you called us to do. And as we do it well, you increase our influence. You increase the talents that we're responsible for. God, I ask that you would release adventures over this house. Book of Acts adventures over the Bridge Church. Anyone listening to this podcast, we, we release to you right now the presence of God that will we'll send you into encounters and adventures. Don't live a boring Christian life anymore. Why don't you pray for your neighbor? Just pray a prayer of courage over them, a prayer of adventure, boldness. You'll see that the apostles kept asking for boldness. They'd get in trouble for being bold, and then they would go pray for more boldness, just constantly. And the boldness was to proclaim the word of the Lord and to perform signs and wonders. So God, we pray that prayer that they prayed in the end of Acts 4, that you would stretch out your hand over your people, And that we would walk in boldness to declare your word. And that as we do so, as we steward what you've given us to steward, that you would stretch forth your hand and perform miracles and signs and wonders. And that you would confirm your word, God. I pray, Lord, that we would really get a hold of this message, this truth, this calling, this destiny that we have. And that we would transform cities and communities and neighborhoods. You've planted us where we are for a reason, for a purpose. You've given us authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. You said this is the heritage of those that fear the name of the Lord. That every tongue that rises against you, we will condemn. Transform Arlington, God. Transform this neighborhood, God. Adventures. Adventures. We're going to look for them. I'd like for you to join hands across the aisles. We're going to pray one more thing. pray that as we declare the word of the Lord, we will see miracles and signs and wonders. We have to see them. It's our destiny. It's in our DNA. To not see them is criminal. Amen? It is. So, Father, you you lift your voices, all right? We're calling out to you, God. We want to see 
you confront darkness with miracles, signs, wonders, healings, deliverance, casting out demons, cleansing lepers. And we want to be people that see these things with our hands, with our mouths, when we declare God, the word of the Lord. Lord, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. <laughs> Put the word in our mouths, God. Yes. Yes. Amen. Yes, God. <laughs> Amen. It's good, Dan. Thank you. Amen. Those who know their God. Mm. Amen. We want to open the altars for prayer. You can hang out. I want to ask you to do one more thing. All right? Sorry. So Mandy and I and the boys were going out of town, and uh, we're going to some strategic places besides just places we wanted to go. We're going to go through Charleston and Columbia. I feel like we're supposed to go through there on our way to other places. I want you to pray. I want to go to the, to, to the AME church. I want my boys to see real. This is real, and this is what we're part of. And we want to go there and pray for Charleston, pray for the race relations that are going on there. I feel like we're not just on vacation, but when we go through there, we're, we're carrying an assignment. Um, the stupid KKK and the Black Panthers were fighting the other day. We, we just want to bring peace as we go, right? Then, um, then we're going to Boston, and, and for about 10 years, um, I, I did research on a church there called the Old North Church. It was, it's the, one of the oldest churches, if not the oldest, in America. And so we're going to go see the Old North Church. And years ago when I discovered it and saw it, like something stirred inside of me. I, I wanted to see revival in Boston. And I've always, I've always prayed this, just in my own thing. It's on my list of things to pray for. Even so much so that back then I thought that I was going to go to Boston and start revival there or something. That's the way I pray and feel. And so uh, we're going to be going there. I'm going to pray for revival to happen there. And it's funny because three weeks ago, Lance Wall now gave a prophetic word of a revival that's going to hit Boston. And so I know that this is a, a godless area, but it's a Bible-minded place. If that makes any sense. So it's ripe for revival and so I just want to pray for those, for Charleston and the racial things that are going on there, for healing, and then for revival in the Northeast. So God, we, we come to you, and, and, and we, love, we love all people, and we want to see people get along, and we want to see old racisms die in Jesus' name. We want to see the, the symbolism that causes pain and hurt to go away, God. We want the, the, old, the old hatreds that have been passed on from generations to die and no longer be revived, God. I, I ask that we would love one another the way, the way you want us to love. And that Dr. King's vision will come to fulfillment, God. And God, as we go up into the Northeast, we ask for revival in Boston and in New England and the Northeast, God. We ask that you would bring a revival to our nation's starting point. I ask that there would be breakthrough, that they would see crazy supernatural signs and wonders, Lord. Astounding things that they cannot explain. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, we love you guys. If you want more prayer, we have a prayer team ready to pray for you. We love you. We bless you. You guys are awesome. We release you to adventures. Look, open your eyes. Look up. Look up. Look for adventures. <laughs>